0: When we give our wives our authority and share that, when we're being generous with them, we cast out demons in our marriages. We cast out demons in our families. We stop the generational demons and the the effects that they have in our families, our children, and we can win. We can be victorious. That's what Christ wants to do. But it takes us delivering ourselves up
1: for our bride everyone thanks for joining us another episode of the catholic gentleman we are so incredibly blessed that you are here thanks for joining us if this is your first time listening to us hit that subscribe button if you've listened to us multiple times again thank you uh we are so blessed we've got some really exciting things to talk about today one of which is a new co-host that we are going to have as a regular on our show Devin shod so many of you guys know him from previous works that we've done He is just a man on fire to help men. We uh, just really felt called uh, by by our lady to make this happen and make this a new structure for our show. So you're going to hear as we go through this show that there's going to be a lot of unique things that we're entering in. This is for our regular listeners just to keep you updated. Wow, there's something new happening and I couldn't be more so I couldn't be more excited. So Devin, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me with you. It's great. It really is. thank you. And so we are your hosts, as you know, John Heinen, Sam Guzman, and Devin. So everyone, if you love what we're providing here at The Catholic Gentleman and you want to help us support our mission and expand, head over to CatholicGentlemanPlus.com. One cool thing about this podcast that we're going to be doing is we're going to be doing a longer, extensive, or exclusive edition inside of Catholic Gentleman Plus every single week. So head over there. We've got a session called The Rule of Life that just came out this month where we're talking about practical rule of life. We've had one on prayer and work, one on prayer, and one on fasting this month only. If you sign up for the Catholic Gentleman Plus um, annual membership, which is $120 a year, we are going to send you this incredible rosary thanks to our friends at the Catholic Woodworkers. So we've got this Benedictine St. Michael rosary that's handmade here in America. We're going to put that in with the book of of Saint quotes that we put together with the uh, branded keychain and with 15% off all of our store um, uh, items for purchase. You can get that at all times. Head over to catholicgentlemanplus.com, click on it in the show notes, and it'll be there. So today... We want to talk about something very provocative, signs that your wife is not feeling loved. And I think to get to set the groundwork here, I think it's really important for us to dialogue about why this is so important, right? Why is this so important for married men, for those of us um, in marriage, for those of us counseling people in marriage like priests or deacons? Why is this so important? I will just tell you. Because our marriage to our wives is our vocation, is number one. And so in setting the stage here, I think it's really important. And I wanted to quickly turn to Ephesians 5, just to trigger some people there. And immediately you're going to be like, oh yeah, that's right, that's right. You know, Ephesians 5. Yeah, you know, uh, wives be uh, subject to your husband. But that's actually not the part of Ephesians 5 that I want to bring up. What I want to bring up is the call to love. In Ephesians 5. And I want to talk about that. And I'm actually going to read through them here um, as something that you might not have realized, that in Ephesians 5, we are called as husbands to love our wives three different times. And the first one is, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, right? We are called to love as Christ loved the church. We are called to love as a sacrificial love. The second time in Ephesians 5, 28, he says, in the same way, households should love their wives, husbands, forgive me, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. So we're supposed to love them as we love our own bodies. And then the final one, Ephesians five thirty three. the Holy Apostle states, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So I actually wanted to pivot this over to you, Devin. We're not talking about warning signs yet. We are talking about the importance of love in marriage. And I'd love to hear what you have to say in in addition to that. Well, just right off the
0: bat, what you're quoting there is essential for us to understand because St. Paul begins that entire passage with the command to love. He continues it with love, and he ends it with love. And so the message he's saying is, is you husbands, your marriage has to begin with love, end with love, and continue throughout with love. And the word that he's using there is agape. But if you notice, he's asking us to do it in three different ways. And I don't want to go too deep too fast, mm-hmm. but just on the surface, he says, deliver, sanctify, and present. Those are the three things in Ephesians 5 that he says Christ does for the church. And he's calling husbands that is how you agape love and that agape love is that disinterested that is no self-interest for the sake of the other sacrificial love so i'm i'm laying down my life for the sake of the other now what do we benefit from this because this is what guys we we we're we are not at agape level love yet most of us and so it's that quid quo pro something for something kind of mentality which i'm against however I think we have to speak to that, that by doing this, your marriage, your relationship with your wife will benefit incredibly. And not only that, your children and your friendships, your confidence, you will benefit incredibly. And so I just, I throw that out. I don't want to, you know, steal the space here, but those are those three ways, you know, to deliver, to uh, sanctify and to present.
1: Yeah, well, I appreciate that. And I'll say that in preparing for this episode, I ended up walking up to my wife and telling, asking her for forgiveness for all the ways that I have <laughs> failed her. And uh, so I, I'm really grateful for, for having, having done this. And, and in Ephesians, as I was reading it, I just um, was struck anew by by all those things that you just stated, but also my own inability. I liked what you said about the fact that it is... Um, <clears throat> It is me first, right? That kind of mentality. It, it This is so contrary to the way of the world. And I think that you're exactly right when we talk about selfishness, right? I mean, that that's what the way of the world is teaching us. But that's not what Paul is saying in Ephesians for husbands to their wives. He is teaching us to love, to love, and to love. And so, Devin, real quick, remind us those three ways that you quickly um, pointed out.
0: Yeah, so the first one is to deliver and there's a lot there because paul uses a greek word peridokin which has great meaning for us and we can get into that if you want in a minute the other one is sanctify which is hagios it re- li- literally means to separate for a sacred call or duty and then the other one is is to present histeme in the greek which or histime which a- actually means to come alongside and bring forth with to stand in union and so there's a lot there too. So we could dive into those, but I think more importantly, what we what we really need to understand on a practical level is that this is a command from God to love, and therefore we are ob- obligated by divine duty, our sacred summons to love, but there's a nuance to this, a very practical nuance to this. Women don't just want love their core need their primary core need is to be secure in mm-hmm. love to be certain of our love and that's why you get i don't know if this has ever happened to you i can't tell you how many times it's happened to me but my wife I'll go shopping with her or she's trying on a dress or a pair of jeans and she says how do these look so I, you know and i'm like hey they look good and and then she's not talking th- me for the next two weeks and i'm like (laughs) what did i do i told her that they look good and the point is is she doesn't care about the jeans she doesn't care about the dress she doesn't even really ultimately care whether she looks good in either one of them what she's wanting to know is do i still have your love Mm. am i still secure in that can i have certainty that you still want me to be your loving bride that you still desire me and so we see this with little girls you know little girls my Zelie, when she was six years old, she wanted to put on a dance for the family, had little tickets for us that she made out. She pushed all the furniture to the sides of the room, and she came in with that purpley, sparkly ballerina dress, and she started dancing. And that fair skin and that long blonde hair and those beautiful blue eyes just blew me away. But I noticed something as she was dancing. She was watching her feet to make sure she was doing it right. But then those baby blues with those beautiful eyelashes would flash up and look at no one else in the room but me. Mm. And she must have done it dozen times. And at first it was very awkward and uncomfortable, but then I realized I need to stay in, the, in contact with that gaze because she's looking for something. She's looking not only for my gaze of love, she's looking for the one I represent, which is God the Father. And she wants to be secure in that love. That's why she kept looking up so many times. Are you still watching? Are you still looking? Do you still love me? And so whether it's a girl, a daughter, a wife, a woman, this is the core need is to be secure in their husbands, the guy they're dating, his love.
2: Well, and I love all the theological nuances and things here that Devin's highlighting. Um, I'd like to look at it from a more of a natural level, but in the context of ecology, right? Like there's something that's been growing in the um consciousness, I guess, of, 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 uh, individuals today, as we kind of look at problems with like our food system and, and just all the health problems and chronic diseases that are arising from, uh, the food system. And uh, believe me, this does go, this ties into marriage. Okay. So just give me a second, but, but, uh, but there's, there's all kinds of problems in, in food production today from like glyphosate and like all of these things being sprayed on our crops and like the soil being destroyed and depleted. And so there are people are waking up to this and realizing that you can't just use the earth with no awareness of the impact that's happening. Um, And, and, uh, and so there's a lot of people starting to wake up to this sense of ecology. Like there's a relationship to the world and there's a lot of great writers who are kind of bringing attention to this, like Wendell Berry and things like that, but talking about how, you know in the and and not this is not just nostalgia or romanticism but like in the past a farmer truly loved the land that he tilled he knew it mm. intimately he also loved the creatures that he raised um and you know there, there's a saying among old farmers like the animals should have one bad day like that's the day of their butcher but every other day should be a happy joyful day you know and and we're realizing that when you love the crops and the land, and you it, there's there's a relationship of love there. Things flourish. It's like it's it's the, the 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 soil is healthier, the plants are healthier. You don't have to use you know millions of pounds of pesticides and things to get, to produce crops. Like it just kind of naturally blossoms. And it's interesting. The English word uh, uh, for husband um, is really rooted in agriculture. A husband used to be someone who tilled and cared for the soil, whether that was a vineyard or whether that was you know fields of, of, of wheat or corn, um, but also you know the animals that he was taking care of and things like that. And of course, um, a relationship with your wife is not so, you know subservient in the way that that land or or crops are. but I think there's a, there's something essential here in this word husband where we're called to nurture and love our wives so that they blossom like a well-cared-for field, you know, where they just, it's, the nutrients are there, um, you know, the the fertilizers are there, just so that it can just naturally blossom and do what it was meant to do. Um, you know, working with nature is really not about Adding to as much as it is just removing those obstacles so nature can do what it does best, bring forth an abundant harvest. And it's the same in our marriages where I think if we're as husbands, see our wives as like a garden that we're tending and that we love them and care for them and, and fertilize that soil and nurture it. Like it, they're just kind of blossom. And and so, we're kind of, we're coming at this from the, kind of a problem, like, like, what do we do when our wives don't feel loved? And just kind of extending the metaphor, it's like, what do you do when your field's not producing crops? Like, there's just this sterility and this this dryness and this coldness in your marriage. What do you do? Um, and really, I think it comes back to this idea of this relationship of love, like St. Paul's calling us to in Ephesians, where... A lot of husbands have this mindset of like, what's in it for me? Are you making me happy? Are you satisfying me? Are you meeting my needs? Um, and but what I but, you know, just what we're seeing in St. Paul is saying is like, don't worry about that. Like you focus on tending your wife, loving your wife, helping her flourish as a person. And believe me, all of your needs will be met if that's the case, like she will reciprocate. Like that's the way God designed it. Um, and so just like a well-cared for field, like there's just this harmonious, natural flourishing that happens when you do that. So just, just don't worry so much about your own needs and what's being met or what's not like you just focus on tending your wife, uh, and, and God will take care of the rest and it'll, things will naturally blossom.
1: Yeah. Wow, Sam, I, I think that's beautiful. And I mean, I, I don't know, when you were talking, it, it immediately triggered, um, I think it was a quote that you brought up to me a long time ago, but Cardinal Burke, where he talked about, you know, there's no greater force against evil in the world than the love of a man and a woman in marriage. After the Holy Eucharist is the power beyond anything that we can imagine, but it's that relational aspect that you're bringing up there that I don't know why that was triggered in my mind, but that's just it. When when we When we empty ourselves as men, right? When we really die to ourselves as we're called to do, in fact, that's the whole point of, of what we're talking about in Ephesians is, is just emptying ourselves and dying to ourselves so that we can be filled with God's love and we can love our wife as Christ loves her. Um, Just monumental things can happen. Devin, love to hear your thoughts. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I love it. I love what Sam said. Um, I think that it, for me, it triggered Adam in the garden and that dynamic where The garden in Hebrew literature symbolizes woman. You are garden enclosed, a fountain sealed. My sister, my bride. You know, so, and Adam is given the task to till and to keep that garden, and literally in the Hebrew, to cherish and protect it. And it's interesting because I, I love what you're saying, Sam. Is like if Adam loves Eve, responds. Eve' response reciprocates that love. It's a very natural process because when a woman is secure in love, she just naturally wants to give back. And like I, that's that's a key. And what do men want more than anything? I think deep down, fundamentally, love and respect are like synonymous for us. In fact, we we often when we're disrespected, we feel unloved. And so you look at that dynamic in the garden with Adam and Eve, and I feel like what was going on with the temptation was. Adam desires respect. Eve desires to be secure in love. The serpent is entering in. Adam isn't stepping in. And so Eve is like, I'm insecure in your love. I'm not certain of it. Do you still love me? And therefore she seduces him in a way, manipulates him and his respect is gone in that moment. And so, but on the flip side When we defend our brides, especially from ourselves, this is my thing, I I have to defend my wife from me, first and foremost. Before I have to defend her from the world and the flesh and the devil, I have to defend her from me. And by defending her and protecting her, she begins to respect me. By loving her, she wants to respect me. And it's just a very natural process, like you're saying, Sam. So I, I love it and i believe we need to tend our gardens you know we need to put love there you know and the love will flourish
1: so i i think it's a perfect opportunity here to shift to uh so signs that your wife is not feeling loved because we've already discussed how important it is to love your wife but also how important it is to be able to present um you know her and be able to 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 uh be aware of of her physical, emotional, and spiritual needs and, and where these things aren't being met. And so that's actually one of the primary reasons why I brought Devin on is because he has years more experience than us. So he's <laughs> able to see these warning signs I better than us. <laughs> um, uh, no, not at all. But I actually do want to pivot. Uh, jokes aside, I want to I move ahead. But
2: yeah, warning signs, right? Like that's kind of what we were talking about. Sex is one of them. Right. Like if your sexual relationship is suffering, it's a it's it's a warning sign that your wife isn't feeling loved. And, you know, it, sex can be a great thermometer of your relationship. Like and, and also, I should say, like your ability to refrain from that, like because there's times mm-hmm. when uh, your wife isn't going to be able to. It's not just that she's not in the mood. Maybe she isn't. But she's also just not able to, like, you know, after a baby's born or like, you know, on her period or different times when when she's just not going to be available to you. Um, and like as men, that's like a call for us to mature. Right. Like I've often wondered, like, you know, my wife, have had, you know, over the years, have had like different points of tension around our sexual relationship. And, you know, it, it's a really healthy thing, you know, because. Yeah, like you were saying, Devin, like men are always on almost, you know, it's like we're always ready to go. And But women are more complicated. Like, why did God design it that way? Because God wants us to get out of ourselves. Like, he wants us to mm. get out of our own needs and our own desires. And interestingly, the word ecstasy means to stand outside of oneself yes. uh, no. and, and to be able to see your wife's needs and to see, you know, like, okay, I may want to do this right now, but she can't. Like, how can I still love her? How can I still develop intimacy, healthy intimacy? That's not sexual. And like, you're never going to ask that question if she's always available, right? Um, If she's always ready to go as you are, like that's not going to happen. And so like this, that friction is that tension that if we embrace it in a healthy and mature way can lead to inner development in us, you know, and we can learn to love better, love deeper and love in different ways. Um, where it's like if we just get what we want every time, you know, sure, that'd be that'd be like fun. Right. But at the same time, we'd never grow. We'd never grow and we'd never deepen and mature and learn to harness our own passions um, and channel them in a way that's actually conducive to our wives flourishing. Um, And so I want to mention this just real quick is that I see a lot of guys who use the word, you know, the church's teaching on being open to life as as a kind of a mandate that like she always has to be available to me she can never say no and i think that's tragic because it can do a lot of harm to women like women feel like they have no autonomy like they have no say in the matter like they just have to say yes to their husband whatever and like it can lead to a lot of resentment you know it can lead to a lot of bitterness in your marriage that maybe she's not expressing but it's there you know, and it's going to come out in other ways. And when the church says that marriage is a remedy for concupiscence, the church does not mean that marriage is an outlet for concupiscence. Yes, exactly. It's a that's remedy for healing, uh, not an outlet for l- unlimited pleasure. You know, like that's not what the church is teaching.
0: Well, and and I think that's spot on because if we're talking about a woman's core need, being secure in her husband's love, being certain of his love, the one thing that really undoes that, that makes her feel least secure, if you will, is when he is lusting after her and using her or you know, hammering on her in a sense, you know, being belligerent or nagging at her to try to get that from her. And this is the danger of it, is like I was talking to somebody the other day and this couple was gonna go on a trip and the husband didn't really wanna go it was a business trip she she was on and and he she was like begging him to go and he's and she goes what could i do to make this more enjoyable for you and he, he he i don't know and then he came back and said well you know sex you know and and she was indignant about it and why because sex is seen as a thing on the table like like this thing between us and i'll do this and you give me that it's a, it's an object rather than what I'd love is you. I want you. I desire you. And that's what we're missing with the whole idea of objectification. Like you're talking about the remedy for concupiscence. I can speak to this in my own life, you know, is that, is that if my wife, after our third daughter, Anna Marie, if she didn't go through, the, the OB told her she could not get pregnant for at least a year. That year turned into a year and a half, two years, almost three years. And I was dying. And I thought that it was, it was basically our marriage was crumbling. It was almost over on this issue alone. But what happened though, what transpired was it taught me to be a man. It Mm -hmm. taught me to love disinterestedly. And this is the interesting thing about it. The very thing that every man wants at the core of his being is to be respected. My wife didn't really respect me before because I lusted after her. But then when I learned to conquer my lust through the grace of God, our lady who crushes a serpent, that was when she began to respect me and then want to reciprocate love, intimacy, vocationally and sexually to me. And that's when the marriage began to flourish, but it took the man. And this is why men are different than women in our bodies. We simply like Pope John Paul II says in his theology body, the body expresses the inner ontological reality of the person, the essence of the person, a man's body demonstrates that he's called to go forth from himself to initiate, if you will. And so a man is called to initiate spiritually and, and practically in his body, the pace of self giving love. So he's gotta go first. I had to go first. I had to say, I'm gonna overcome lust by God's grace and I'm gonna love my wife rightly, whether she responds or not, I'm doing that. And that's when things shifted because I set the pace of self-giving love and she wanted to follow that pace.
2: Hello gentlemen, Sam Guzman here. As many of you know, I've spent the last four years on a journey to become a psychotherapist. Why? Well, there's a huge mental health crisis in the world today fueled by many of the conditions and pressures of the modern world. Men especially are suffering with suicide rates among men soaring, and rates of depression, anxiety, anger, addictions, and relational problems reaching unprecedented rates. It would be naive to think that Catholic men are invulnerable to these things. Many Catholic men struggle with these issues and others, and I've received many messages from readers and listeners to the Catholic gentleman confirming this fact. Sadly, research shows that less than half of men will ever reach out for help. Four years ago, I felt a call from God to launch out and help in a more concrete way. I began the journey to become a psychotherapist, enrolling in Divine Mercy University in their clinical mental health counseling program. I graduated around two years ago and spent the last year and a half working full-time in psychotherapy. And To receive your counseling license, you need 3,000 hours of supervised practice. Thanks be to God, the good news is my hours are nearly complete, and in a providential twist, I expect to receive my license on December 8th the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. Once I receive my counseling license, I feel called to launch a private practice and begin helping as many as I can one-on-one. But starting a private practice involves startup funds for things like office space, liability insurance, and more. But I'll be honest, the last couple years of career transition have been extremely difficult for my family financially. And I really could use your help to get off the ground to get my private practice started. If you believe in supporting Catholic counseling, please consider supporting my GoFundMe to help launch my private practice. It would be huge help. And thank you for your support and God bless
1: you. It was one that I was was thinking through and, and kind of struggling with um this idea of anxiety and depression and and what my role is within it. Um, when I was looking through this. And one of the things, and and again, for our listeners, Sam's not talking um about they can't get out of bed, they're so you know, depressed or they're 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 anxious and that sort of thing. But but just generally that that overall unwellness with anxiety and depression that comes along. And and I was reflecting on that within my own marriage and it was because of my inability to protect my wife emotionally and spiritually. And I think I I just wanted to to just dive in there and bring up um, uh, my own failing. I was told by a priest early on in our marriage that I am called to not only protect her physically, you know, which I thought, yeah, I can do that. We're good to go. Um, But also emotionally and spiritually. And men who are listening, this is this has been an ongoing battle of mine for 13 years of marriage and, and 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 I haven't I haven't won this battle yet. I still want to complain to my wife about the struggles that I've dealt with in my day. And and what was the uh, was it a Greek word Sam that you used for how women experience emotions? No what was that racist. word?
2: Yeah, no yeah.
1: yeah, and and I know that and I knew that in the first year of our marriage, but it's still I just think oh maybe if I phrase it like this she's gonna just it's not gonna it's not gonna affect her in that way, but it ne- it never happens and when when I can wake up the next morning or by that evening have forgotten about it, it's something that that is just building on top of her and and we'll go she'll go three or four days still thinking about it. and then if you imagine in those three or four days, I've complained again, at least another time, it just creates this compounded effect on her. And my wife and I actually had to have a heart to heart where she just said, I can't hear anything about your day job. I can't hear anything about your work, John, because it takes up my emotional piece. And she, and praise be to God that she was mindful of this and reminded. and she goes, it's become my gossip column and that I am just, I'm struggling. I'm using creative energy on something that I can't solve. And, and it was, it was, humbling for me to hear this but it was something I needed to hear as a reminder and so I just really wanted to add to that that if your wife is experiencing constant malaise constant anxiety and depression if you will um are you not protecting her from the things of this world that are not just physical in nature but maybe um, toxic and emotional and I'd like to return
0: back to what you were saying about protecting your wife from yourself you know and that idea of bringing that work home and that complaining or grumbling or whatever it was you described. This is huge. And I think that if men can understand this, it will change their marriage if they can rectify it. And so what I mean by this is that you said it and it and it, I think it, you zoomed right past it and I think our listeners could really miss it, but the woman cannot solve her husband's problems yet. She desires to solve her husband's problems because she loves him. So this is what happens. A woman embodies the stress of her husband. And you see this, and this is no offense, but you see it in weight gain, fertility issues, depression, as you're saying, anxiety, and the like. And as one prominent Catholic woman said that when women... Their, their greatest stressor in life is when they're not secure in love. And when do they feel very insecure? When their husband is struggling. And then when their husband relates that struggling to them ongoing. And so here's a great way to visualize this is you look at Mary and Jesus, the bride and the bridegroom at the foot of the cross. Men, we wear our stress in our bodies. It doesn't mean we don't internalize it, but we will go beat a punching bag. We will go pump iron. We will put a fist through the wall. We will go out into the woods and yell, whatever. We will do that. A woman, though, even if she is verbal, she tends to internalize stress. And you look at Jesus. Jesus literally wore the stress of the ignominious crucifixion and death in his flesh. He was pierced through, his flesh is dangling like rags from his bones. He is literally wearing the stress, the sword pierces his side. And then you have Mary, and what does it say about her? A sword of sorrow pierces her heart, her soul, her interior being, why? Because she's watching the man of her life, the love of her life, properly speaking, dying before her eyes, her God, her love, is dying. And she would love to fix it, but she knows she can't. And so she embodies all of that stress and that sort of sorrow. This, by the way, is the greatest love story ever. And this is what happens in marriage. However, we have to do whatever we can to shield our wives from unnecessary stress so that they can flourish and feel secure in love so that they feel protected by us. We may be indignant or internally resentful because we feel like our wives aren't taking care of themselves or they're gaining weight or you know whatever their physical attributes aren't what they used to be. However, just remember, she's embodying your stress as well. and that's it's not completely your fault, but it's a big part of that. and and so it I, I find in a lot of guys' circles, there's this, Why doesn't she just look like she did when we got married? She let herself go. Why does she take care of herself? Well, you gotta shield her, you know, you gotta help her. You gotta love her as your own body, you know. That's the call to make her secure in that love. That's why St. Paul says it three times. And I think this is very interesting. When we talk about delivering ourselves over for our wives, that Greek word for deliver is peridokin. And paradokein is the word that Jesus uses when he speaks of your, you fathers who want to give your sons good things, how much more does your father in heaven want to paradokein give to you? So there's this generosity, this outpouring of generosity, it's this lavishness. And then you have it where Jesus, he gave his disciples paradokein authority to cast out demons. So it's an authority. Over evil. It's generosity. And so when we men, we can deliver ourselves for our wives by being generous with our time. Like you're saying, give her that time out with friends. Give her that time at night where it's exclusive to her. She's not a problem you're fixing. You're listening to her. You're hanging on every word. You're making eye contact. You're not tuning her out when she's talking about her emotional, biological, spiritual, familial problems, but you're listening and you're taking it in and you're loving her through that. That can be healing. That is paradoking. That is delivering your authority over and sharing it over. And that's what casts out demons. You know, when Jesus' peridoking gives authority to cast out demons, this is huge because when we give our wives our authority and share that, When we're being generous with them, we cast out demons in our marriages. We cast out demons in our families. We stop the generational demons and the the effects that they have in our families, our children, and we can win. We can be victorious. That's what Christ wants to do. But it takes us delivering ourselves up for our bride.
1: Wow, well, man, that was incredible. I am overwhelmed with uh, thoughts on warning signs and and things that I've missed in my own marriage. And I'm just so grateful for this dialogue. And, and our listeners, we know that we went through a lot. And as Devin mentioned, I kind of flew past one of them that was incredibly important, probably an episode in and of itself. And so we're going to put up a wrap up um, right here of all those warning signs we discussed, plus a couple more. Um, you can click on it in the show notes and you can access there. We're excited to provide that with you. So a new thing that we're doing here on the Catholic Gentleman uh, podcast is we are asking for listeners to send us their audio recorded questions that we can answer live on air uh, during these podcasts. And so if you have one, a burning question, Send it to podcast at gentleman.com. Just go ahead and send an email to podcast at catholicgentleman.com. Attach your question, your audio question, and it's possible that we will play it live here on the show, and then we will dialogue about it. And so we do have one of those questions from a listener named Billy, and I am going to play it now for us to all listen to, and then we will uh, respond.
2: Hey gentlemen, thank you for taking my question. One of my biggest struggles is being present with my family. I have a wife and two young children. When I'm tired after work, I often spend time scrolling through my phone mindlessly, watching TV or thinking about other things. I know I need to be more present with them. Do you have any practical tips to help me be more present and give my family the attention they deserve? Thank you.
1: Yeah, so, that is a question for um, a full podcast. It is a question that uh, yeah. that we have all struggled with ourselves. I know, um, in particular, uh, myself and my own struggles. So, I, Billy, thank you so very much for sending that question to us and, and asking about it. I tell you that you're among good company. Uh, when, when it comes to that. So Sam, I'd love to pass it over to you and hear your thoughts on, on being more present to your family after a long day of work or um, yeah, just after the struggles and stresses of life.
2: Yeah, great question. And um, I'll try to make it brief, but um, this is definitely something that, yeah, everybody struggles with these days with these addictive devices that we have, but, but uh, a couple quick things. One is, um, realize the preciousness of attention. Um, attention is a precious resource, uh, and what consumes your attention, uh, really shapes who you are. Um, and so, uh, it, you know, I've heard people, you, know, you know, writers say that, like, attention is like the doorway to prayer, the relationship with God, but it's also the doorway to communion with others. Um, and if you're squandering that attention, if you're letting social media consume that attention and stuff, it's a finite resource. You're gonna, you're not going to have it for, for the people who need it the most. But as far as the tiredness goes, I want to say, too, like, I totally get this. Like, so much of work these days is mental. We're not out laboring in the fields. We're not, you know, working in, in a blacksmith shop. We're often sitting in front of computers. Uh, and it can be very draining mentally. Um, and so then we come home and we just want to veg out. Like, people seem like too much effort and work. So what I would encourage you to do is really practice cultivating pauses throughout your day, but especially before you go in and engage your family. Like when you pull in the driveway, don't just, you know, open the door, rush in the house and then just hit your phone, you know, like spend time taking a pause, take a deep breath, say a prayer, connect with yourself and your own feelings and moods and just acknowledge like I'm stressed out. I'm tired right now. But get some distance from that and say, like, how do I want to respond? Because that's the fact, like, I'm tired. But there's a couple of ways of dealing with that. One is, you know, retreat and withdraw into social media of edging out. Or it can be, you know, doing something to recharge your batteries for just a second. Sometimes even just taking a few deep breaths, uh, you know, oxygenates your blood and like gives you a second wind. Uh, to go in there and do really the work of attention, because attention, when we say pay attention for a reason. There's a cost involved, uh, you know, even biologically, mm. but also uh, in other ways. And so there it is a sacrifice. Um, and but take a deep breath, calm your body, calm your nervous system, release maybe some of those tensions and stresses that are on your mind. Uh, and prepare yourself to do the work because it is a holy work to be with your family. It's not meaningless. Uh, this is the stuff that your kids will remember. Dad played with me. You know, dad spent time with me. Dad took an interest in me. Like your kids are going to remember that. Uh, and if, but they're not going to, they're also going to remember you being on your phone and that's not going to be a positive memory. Um, so so just do the preparatory work. I would encourage you and just realize that attention uh, is a precious resource. Last quick thing I'll say is control your environment. Like if your phone is a problem and you know it's tempting, don't leave it out in the open. Like just go put it in your bedroom. Um, you know, alter your environment to make it less tempting. And then remove any apps that are a real problem for you. Like if you're addicted to scrolling Instagram or TikTok or just delete it from your phone. Uh, or Apple has like time controls, like set a time control like for the first two hours and I'm home. I just can't access it, you know, but take those steps because if you don't, social media companies are spending billions of dollars every day to suck you in and master your attention because your attention means money for them. So just realize that and and take prudent steps. Yeah.
1: I couldn't agree more. Uh, Sam took it all. Um, no, and in three minutes, that was that was a powerful response. And so, Billy, I just want to start. Um, I'll go next and then we can have Devin. Um, I just want to start and I want to affirm you for realizing this. I think that's yes. really just one of the first uh, greatest things is, is that the fact that you are aware, right? Because at the end of the day, what are we called to we are called to holiness. We are called to union with our spouse and with our family, and we are called to bring them to heaven and work to bring ourselves to heaven. And so, the fact that you are aware of that and you see that and you know these things that are pulling you away from that um, can be a divide and can be something that is is taking you away from that ultimate good. And when you read the spiritual um, writers and everything, it can seem daunting to try and uh, live up to that that status quo. But you you know what it what's required of us as men. So I was going to say just personally for my own experience I have had to put a lot of things in place but I want to say is being intentional is first and foremost. So this is my temperament. I just can't go home without a plan and expect myself to just you know fall into one and and enjoy it and and be a, be available. However, almost every day I know exactly what I'm going to do. Tonight, I'm actually taking one of my sons out on a a little uh, daddy-son time. And I know that I'm going to do that. And I've already dialogued with my wife. So I'm prepared for that. And that preparedness helps me be present, helps me be fully aware and alive. And actually, I can be excited about it because I know that it's going to be there. The final thing that I was going to say is just an affirmation to what Sam stated I'm not always perfect at this, but a number of years ago, I had to leave my phone. I had to control my environment, as he said. I leave my phone in my office at five o'clock when I'm done with work, and then I don't get it until after my kids are in bed. And I actually had to do that to myself for those exact same reasons. Um, I'll, I'll, and it, but it wasn't too long ago, actually, just in my failure, um, in between that decision, where I know my young eight-year-old daughter looked at me and just sat there staring at me while I was looking at my phone. and. I put my phone down and I looked at her and she was just like, can I, can I say something? And I was like, oh, it's after. And she's like waiting for me and she's patiently knowing I'm looking at my phone and just assuming that whatever I was doing was more important than her. Mm-hmm. And I just, I looked at her and I told her like, Next time she sees me do that the first question that comes out of her mouth is daddy do you love me and i said i just need you to 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 know how much i love you and and i am sorry for that and so i affirm you billy and i appreciate that very much
0: Yeah that's great Yeah i i agree with both of you um i love the preparedness strategy i think that's excellent i think that some working principles maybe would be helpful um Let's see. I think first of all, Billy, your behavior toward your family is a reflection of how you want God to behave toward you. So, Familiars Consortio 25, John Paul II, he said that the human father's mission is to reveal and reflect God the Father. Okay? So, when we're ref- whatever we're reflecting, that's principle number 1 is how we want God To speak to us, but also that's how we want to speak to our children. So I think we need to establish that. But I call it the aerator principle. And like every fall, I want to aerate my lawn and overseed. And every fall, I get extremely busy. And every spring, I regret when I see my neighbor's lawns and how pathetic my lawn looks, right? And so it's the aerator principle is I don't want to kick the can 20 years down the road and see my kids where they're wounded, they have broken relationships, their marriage is crumbling, because I didn't aerate their lawn, so to speak, because I and invest. So I think that uh, if you, if we remember that our occupation is at the service of our vocation, we can establish these working principles, the aerator principle, the icon of God, the father principle. And then we can look to certain things. Like for example, I think it's important to have a set consistent family time every night, whatever, or, or you choose the nights you. And then second is to establish that evening routine. And then the third thing is to learn how to have social skills, you know? So stop, look, listen, engage. I can't tell you how often my kids are running around trying to get my attention and I'm busy doing something and they want to see my eyeballs. They want me to stop. They want me to treat them as though I love them, you know, as I'm giving the gaze of God, the father. So I think that you guys talked about removing the obstacles, the, the, the smartphone, the TV, shut it all off. But I think that if you establish your consistent family time, you have your consistent family routine, which mine basically consists of dinner time, and I lead in prayer, and we thank God. It's more than just bless us, oh Lord, in these, I guess, although that's great. But we go beyond that in thanksgiving and praise of our God. We have a great dinner together where we deprogram the kids from what they've been taught during the day. And then We will have, after that, cleanup time together. I don't go watch TV. I don't go watch ESPN or the news. I I participate in that. And then we will have social time. And that's where we're either going on a walk, we're playing together, we're doing something, we're socializing, we're talking, and then it's prayer time. You got to seal the deal. And then it's blessing blessing your kids. So we've got a routine that's in place. And I think when you develop that routine, you can abide by that and know that's what you have to do. And then give yourself an out. Like you're talking about after they're in bed, if you need to go to work, get on the phone, if you need to do it fine, but afterwards and make your vocation a greater uh, priority than your occupation. But I think that one thing that I think is super important is the physical, practical side of this. And I think that, yes, we crash, we're burnt out, we're tired. But like, think about this. When we're like that in anything, whether it's our job or whether it's we're hanging out with the guys on a hunting trip, what do we do? We push ourselves and we develop strategies. And I know that when I don't want to exercise, I exercise. I push myself. When I don't want to do that landscaping job, I do that landscaping job. And I think that, if you don't want to engage your family, it's a sure sign that you're supposed to. Yeah. And so if you're tired, drink lots of cold water. <laughs> Hydration will keep you alert and it also be painful for your bladder. So you will stay awake. You know, the second thing is, is don't overeat and over drink at dinner it induces a food coma and you got to stay alert you know, for your family. And then exercise in the morning or sometime in the day to get those endorphins cooking so that you have that energy, you have that stamina to be able to engage your family. So I think that, yes, we need to have that routine. Yes, we need to establish social skills like stop, look, and listen. I think this is very important. Ask yourself this, you know, and I'm asking myself this is, do I respect my children as the future saints that they will be? Mm. Or do I look at them as just, that's just a little kid or a child that I don't have to deal with right now. And the word respect in the Latin is literally, it literally means to see again or to re regard specere, which means to look. So we need to look at them and engage them and listen and respond and create a conversation That's the key with our wives and our children and get that going. And if you feel like you're going to check out and you're too tired, then get outside and do an activity. But I'm just going to tell you this. You do this night after night, year after year. You establish your routine. Your family will be some of the best companions in your life. And you will create them to be saints that will change this world. I think it all happens
1: in that nighttime routine. Amen. Wow. Well, Billy, thank you so very much for your question. If you guys have one, remember podcast at catholicgentleman.com. Go ahead and send it to us today and we might be able to, to play it here on the show. All right. So we just finished our questions, and now is a very fun part of the show. We are gonna call this putting on the new man. And what that's gonna be, it's gonna be a weekly challenge, right? We are men of action. We are men of building virtue, right? We're not just sitting on a couch hoping that these things are gonna get better. They're things that we can do to actually improve our lives. And so I was blessed to be able to dialogue with Devin ahead of time and uh, come up with this challenge for men, this week. And it's going to be for those married men who are trying to grow in holiness and union with their wives. So Devin, if you'd like to talk to us <laughs> about these questions that we're going to challenge every man to do, um, I'll probably only do one of them. Uh, be, no, I'm joking. I'll I'll, I'll do them all <laughs> myself. So yeah. Well, first of all,
0: we're operating under the principle that we've shared in the podcast, which is basically communication leads to communion. And if you or I are just assuming what our wife needs or wants, and again, if we're assuming that we're actually meeting that need for her to be secure in love, we're going to miss this. And so this is a very difficult and challenge, uh, challenging thing for us men to do. But I think the first thing is we're going to ask our wives four questions, but get ready. And I'm going to talk about what we're going to do after we ask these questions. Okay. So the first one is ask her, do you know that I, do do you know that I love you? And I think most of the time our wives are going to give us the pass. They're going to say, and we're going to go great. Done with the questions. I'm moving on. Mm -hmm. And no, the question, second question is a follow-up, but do you feel it? And that's going to cause her to think a little bit. And what's, what Underneath that question, what's really going on, is she's going to process that, am I experiencing your love? So then after that, follow up with the third question, which really is going to get to the difficulty of the situation where you can find resolution and, re- and resolve. And it is, is there anything I can do or that I shouldn't do? Is there anything I can do that could cause you to be more secure in my love? Or is there anything I'm doing that's causing you insecurity in my love? Are you unsure about my love? What is What am I doing that's causing that? And then lastly, what can I do to help you know and trust and be confident and certain in my love? Okay, so what can I do that will help you know and trust and be certain in my love? Okay, so let's review those questions again. Do I love you. Do you feel it? Is there anything I can do, shouldn't do, it causes security or insecurity or causes you to be unsure about my love. And what can I do that will help you to know, trust, and feel and be confident and certain in my love. Now, here's the deal. How we respond is essential. It's not enough just to ask these questions because what is gonna happen inevitably is she's gonna bring up things that you do not want to hear.
1: Yeah. And so
0: the first thing is do not blame. Just sit back and listen, because if you listen to her heart, you will learn about her and you'll learn about yourself. So sit back, listen, process it. Second step after you've listened and you're learning, take it to prayer.
1: Think about it, ruminate over it, but whatever you do, do not react. Okay. uh, If I could, I just want to add to that. Don't try and solve it immediately. This This is something so hard for us men, but it's exactly what Devin's getting at. The moment you hear these things, first off, if you start trying to solve it right there, she's going to feel attacked. If you actually do start uh, trying to counteract what she's telling you, remember, we are a humble man. We are a new man. And that's what we're trying to do in this situation. (laughs) Right. If you start attacking or if you try to solve it quickly, she's never going to want to have this conversation with you again. And so I think that is so incredibly important. And I appreciate you letting me jump in there.
0: Yeah, self-justification is the work of the devil. So we don't want to justify, self-justify, and we don't want to blame. Both of those are the work of the devil. And it's definitely not being a real man. Mm -hmm. Um, Being a real man is assuming responsibility for our actions or how our actions or inaction is interpreted. So it's very important. But so after we've thought about process and pray about it and ask God, well, what do you think of this? God's probably going to reinforce what she said at some level, okay? So then that's where, then we circle back, perhaps maybe even the next day, but we circle back and then we ask clarifying questions. So, Hey, you said this, what do you mean by that? Okay. And what that says to her is, wow, he was really listening. He really cares about me and he wants our marriage to be great. And then afterwards, this is the, this is very important. Make your plan but do not tell her your plan. (laughs) Do not reveal your plan to her and then work that plan every day. It's not a one and done. It's not like you're going to do this and it's magic potion and somehow your marriage is going to be fantastic. you got to have that plan to love her in the ways that she needs to be loved and you need to work that plan daily. And I tell you what, do that about 60 days and she's going to notice that something amazing is happening in her husband.
1: Amen. I am so grateful. This is exciting. I will be doing this myself, listeners. I think that's important. Um, We we are putting on the new man. That's exactly right. And so having this opportunity to reflect on these things and to actually take part in them is a joy of mine. So Devin, Sam, I couldn't be more blessed that you guys are here. I really appreciate you joining us today.
0: Yeah. Thank you, John.
1: And that's what we are going to talk about today on this show. Men of the Catholic Gentleman Plus, I am so grateful to provide you with the first ever extended full version of the podcast episode. And that's what we are going to be doing going forward in the future is that we're going to be releasing a shorter edition to the public and then a longer, more extensive edition exclusively to our members here at the Catholic Gentleman Plus. We are so grateful for your membership and your support. But before we get to this episode, I've got some incredibly exciting news that has been just in the works for the last few months, and that is bringing on a new co-host, Devin Shod, every week to our shows. He is a close friend of mine. You might have known him from the first month of Catholic Gentleman Plus or from other previous episodes. He is an executive director of Father St. Joseph. He's written over 20 books for men. Again, a close friend of mine and somebody that I just love talking to. And I think what he provides for men is something that we all need to hear. And so he's gonna be here every single week on these episodes. I couldn't be more grateful. So again, thank you guys for making this possible. I hope you enjoyed this long, more extended version of the Catholic Gentleman Plus podcast. And as we end each of our episodes. Be a man, be a saint.